Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And the message is called, Blessed are the Merciful. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Father, I pray that you would teach us today, that we would learn from you, that we would be humble before you, that your word would be illuminated to us by your Holy Spirit, that you'd minister to people like us in need of mercy. I pray that your will would be accomplished, that we would see the gravity of our sin and the mercy and the beauty of Jesus and the gospel. Lord, help us again to see the gospel clearly and to rejoice in it and to find that as we go out into this world that it is truly not only the power of God to salvation, but we are also being saved. Continually saved from ourselves, saved from pride, saved from the mess that we would get ourselves in by the gospel. So, Lord, help us. Teach us today. Do what only you can do by the power of your spirit and by the truth and power of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the merciful. That is the beatitude that we're focusing on today. And there's a couple different places that we will look at in scripture to help hold this up for our eyes to see it and be hopefully very, very clear about what it means and what we're supposed to be believing and doing. Um, I think it's been a beautiful series. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying just the one verse at a time. I've heard some feedback, but I try to actually ignore other feedback that I don't like. Just kidding. (laughs) Most of you have said this has been great, just like focusing in on one piece at a time. So I, I believe that it's been beneficial for my heart, hopefully for yours as well. So we're continuing up this ladder. If you remember, I quoted Charles Spurgeon at the very beginning of our series, and he saw these as a ladder. And the first one, the the bottom rung was perfect. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It's it's accessible. It's it's a great spot to begin the, the climb. And so we continue up the ladder of the Beatitudes, one rung at a time, and we're finding that we that what they do is is they build upon one another. The kingdom of heaven, as we began in the beginning, was it belongs to the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It does not belong to the rich, the powerful, the self-sufficient who have need of nothing, but those who have been made humble and in their poverty they cry out to God. That's who the kingdom of God belongs to. And it is these that are poor in spirit who have been shown their sin and the depravity of their heart that after faith in Christ, they begin to mourn their sin. So blessed are those who mourn. It is these that mourn the sin that they once loved. And we also mourn the sins that beset other people. We don't rejoice in other people's sins or calamities. But having seen our own depravity and finding that we belong to the kingdom of heaven, we also then mourn our sin properly and have mourning for others. We, we hurt when others sin and when others need strengthening. We are those people that do that. We mourn our own sin and we find comfort 
from the Comforter when we mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And having mourned with our eyes on Christ, it is these who find comfort from God in his love. These are the blessed people. These are the blessed kind of people, the kingdom people, who then are given a spirit of meekness and self-control, as we talked about last time before Easter. And this is the beginning of our attitude towards other people. These first few Beatitudes are an inward look at our heart and the work of God on our heart as we are changed by the gospel. And then we look at other people and we begin to find meekness. Meekness in our hearts that Christ gives us, self-control. The love and grace that a Christian has been given is a transformative work that changes us from the inside out and it begins to affect other people. And we find a lot of conviction in that sermon a couple weeks ago how much we need the meekness of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, the patience of Christ. So that rather than cursing, we bless others. Rather than anger that leads to sin, we surrender to the will of God and to the word of God. Rather than cursing others. And so living life, even this is few that we've already covered, living life this way is certainly countercultural, is it not? If we truly lived this way as kingdom people, it's countercultural. This world lives to satisfy itself. It's not for the sake of others. It's self-satisfying, feeding on what it can gain from others, even if it means taking advantage of someone, just as long as we can gain But the kingdom-minded person who is blessed is not satisfied with the world. You see how these are stringing together? We're not satisfied with the world, but with Christ. And so there becomes a deeper hunger for righteousness in us and a thirst after God, a thirst to want to please God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And as those who seek after Christ for his satisfaction... It follows the string all the way back to the humble, to the poor in spirit. It's impossible without Christ, with his grace. So we find that we are satisfied in him and that we are, and he is pleased with us. Look at Psalm 73, 26. I'll have it on the screen. It's a very familiar psalm. We will look at some other passages more closely, but listen to this. My flesh And my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's our portion. That's our strength. It's the reality that there is a weakness to the human flesh. There is a a reality of our even ongoing effects of the depravity that we once lived in. Now there is an old nature. There is the old man that is still being crucified, that our flesh still rears its head from time to time. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He strengthens my heart when it is weak, and he is my portion. I choose, and you will choose, as a follower of Christ, one who has been affected by his grace and his mercy, to go to him for your portion. What satisfies you? We come to this today and we realize that there is no glory in ourselves for any of this, is there? We could not look at any of this and say, praise be to me. (laughs) 
how great am I for having found the way to Jesus? And now I've suddenly discovered the meek life, and I love the meek life. I'm so glad I've found it. It's not that at all, is it? That's blasphemous. It's maybe not blasphemous, but it's, it is wrong. <laughs> it's not the truth. It's not the gospel. What is all of this attributed to? This new heart, this new way of thinking, these new desires, these kingdom desires that are the beatitudes that Jesus is laying out. It is only the mercy of God upon us that any of this is possible. It is all God's mercy. So to now come to this place in the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, it's so fitting that here we begin to think about God's mercy. That is the reason. Only the mercy of God. So I want to really take a good look at the mercy of God this morning and really focus there. In terms of the context of Matthew 5, as it's been with all of the other Beatitudes, we need to understand them in a way that is consistent with the gospel and the whole of Scripture. There is a tendency to read the Beatitudes and come up with a works-based life. If I do this, then I will have this. So if I choose to be merciful to other people, then I will deserve the mercy of God. But that is inconsistent with the gospel, so we know that Christ could not mean that, And he would not contradict himself, but there is another way to interpret that. That's how we interpret sometimes difficult passages, by using the whole of Scripture. So let me just remind you of that and encourage you, if you've ever been stumped by something, that's why it's so important to know the whole counsel of God. We don't get the the kingdom of heaven because we are poor in spirit, We aren't ultimately comforted by Christ because we have mourned our sin. The satisfaction we have in Jesus Christ is not a result of our efforts to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And similarly, we don't expect that we will receive God's saving mercies only if we are merciful enough to other people. But this is, in fact, a fruit of of something that Christ has already done in us. It's a fruit of mercy. How we show mercy to other people is a fruit of an initiating work of mercy from God. If we believed that it was a work that would be inconsistent with the whole story of Scripture, rather, it is those who have been shown the mercy of God already that become a merciful people. I could just do a sermon that says, let's be merciful people, How do we become, three steps to becoming merciful, all those things, right? Make a great blog someday, but it's got to have the gospel in it. Otherwise, we're no better than if we all just chose to become monks. Monks are very merciful people. But is there the gospel? We respond to God in a far greater sense than he responds to us. Does he love our mercy? Does God, is there pleasure in God when his people are merciful? Oh, absolutely. But our response to him, how we respond to his mercy must be preeminent. It's the thing that drives 
how our mercy is to other people and, and the effect that it has on other people and the effect that it has in our heart. Is it genuine? Is it true? Is it based upon the mercy of God? Or is it just an effort to be religious? Now, God, as the initiator of saving grace, is the cause of our redemption from beginning to end. Most of you know that. Hopefully all of you know that. It's the cause of our redemption. And any changes that we see in us, whether it be repentance that we show or meekness like these beatitudes or the mercy that we have for others or any good that we show forth in this life is not the cause of salvation, but the fruit of it. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at two aspects of mercy. I want to look at, number one, the church as the object of God's mercy, and number two, the church as a conduit for God's mercy. If we could leave here thinking about those two things, how you and I as the church of Jesus Christ are the object of God's saving mercy, then and only then can we be successful in being a conduit for God's mercy upon this world and upon the people in our lives that need mercy. When God shows mercy to sinners, what is the cause of his mercy? I want to think about that for a minute. We're getting a little theological here. What is the cause of God's mercy to sinners? What was the cause of God's mercy to you when you needed him? When you were destitute and in your sin? Psalm 51.1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. A familiar story, the Exodus, great place to kind of think on when you're thinking about the mercy and the compassion of God. In the compassion of God. Exodus 2.24 says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And if you know the story of the Exodus, he heard the groaning and he saw their complaints and God did something. But do you notice what the cause of it was? What did God remember? God remembered his covenant. That was the cause of his mercy. God's own covenant with his people. Though he did have real compassion on a hurting, enslaved people of Israel, what was far greater and far more powerful was his covenant to save his people and to keep his people, and that through his people, Jesus Christ the Messiah would come. So you see in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to what? Your steadfast love. According to what? Your abundant mercy, the dispensing of great mercy, is because he has a great amount of mercy to dispense that is far more than any of us could ever exhaust. And that is, a, that is a cause for thanksgiving. Because there is a misconception among people that I should probably not be too much trouble to God because I don't want him to run out of mercy. <laughs> and, and, and somebody who's, who's not versed in what the biblical gospel is, is thinking that way. I don't want to tire God out. Can God actually handle my sin? one more person to be a problem to God in all my troubles, so just keep from going to God. He is, it is an endless flow of mercy for the people of God. And so thank God for that, that it is according to his steadfast love, his abundant mercy, that our transgressions are blotted out. According to his covenant, his remembering of his covenant. So when we think about the mercy of God, we do not think of it as something deserved. We need to begin that way. Mercy is not deserved. The very definition of mercy, what makes mercy 
mercy is that the recipient of it is in such a despicable state, such despair, such trouble and deep mire that he or she is walking in that they cannot help themselves. You cannot get up. Such despicable state that others would look at you and say, unhelpable, beyond repair, cannot be helped. To understand mercy, we must understand the miserable, miserable state of our souls before mercy came in, before that happened. So we're going to look there intentionally. We're going to look it right in the face. What was, our, what was the state of our soul before mercy? And if you, are, if you happen to be here and you have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, he's not the redeemer of your soul, then you are still, according to Scripture, in that state and it's to, it, is, it is so hard for the natural man to humble themselves to say, I am a wretched man. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Paul said, Jesus Christ. The, it is Christ alone. Thanks be to God, he says, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Consider the words of Jonathan Edwards. Christian, consider the freeness and wonderfulness of the grace of God toward yourself. You had such a wicked heart, you lived such a wicked life, and it would have been most just with God to have cast you off forever, but he has had mercy upon you. He has made his glorious grace appear in your eternal salvation. This is the spiritual poverty that we've already learned from about Christ, learned from Christ in our Beatitudes study, where we have then begun to mourn that poverty, where we began to be transformed by the Spirit of Christ. The misery of the soul is common to all men. Something that we all can relate to. The misery of the soul. Don't think about your, I'm not talking about the, the body at this point. The misery of the soul. And that's something that only the Holy Spirit can illuminate. That no matter how good your life is or how hard you are trying or how much we do, the soul without Christ is lost and perishing and is in need of the mercy of God. Now, mercy is equally needed for the rich as it is for the poor. It's a, it's a common ground for the drug addict as it is for the greedy for the sexually immoral as it is for the outwardly moral person who loves his self-righteousness. Mercy is needed by all. It is something we are utterly dependent on. So, who needs mercy? Who needs mercy this morning? If you think about it, even as a Christian brother or sister, if you think about the mercy, every time you think about the grace of God that has come to you in salvation, even having come to know the saving mercy of Jesus. It is that person, that man or woman that says, I need his mercy today. I still need his mercy. Because apart from him, I can do nothing. Each and every one of us need it. All mankind, since the beginning, there is not one person in the history of humanity whose life has not been touched in some way by God's merciful hand in some way. Now, let me just distinct, make a distinction between how God's mercy is acted out upon this world. And in this way, God's mercy is broad upon the whole earth. Listen to this text, Acts 17, beginning in verse 24. In this way, God's mercy is broad. 
upon the whole earth. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's the mercy of God upon the whole world. In that sense, it is a broad dispensing of mercy that though we are all in a despicable state, fallen in our human nature, we are given and allowed the breath of life, breath in our lungs, the sunshine upon the just and the unjust, the rain that waters the gardens of those who still curse the name of God. Is that not mercy dispensed to all humanity? God's mercy. What a sign of God's mercy. Psalm 148, 8 to 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Scripture tells us that God's mercy, in a way, is over the whole world, all that have ever lived and breathed. God's mercy is evident. If it were not, we would be dead. If it were not, there would be no life in us. This is a good thing for us to minister to ourselves and chew on because even as we think about others in our lives, we're beginning to think, well, what about that person who I know curses you? They keep messing up. They don't deserve your mercy. That's the definition of mercy. The fact that there are people in our lives and even us that still live and breathe and have our very being, it is in him. He is allowing it because he's a merciful God. But there's a mercy that is even greater than that, and it still also comes from God. And it is a peculiar mercy. It is a specific mercy that extends out the saving grace of God to sinners and fully saves them. It is a mercy that is upon the church, a mercy that is upon God's people from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world. God's mercy that is dispensed. This is a special mercy for his bride, for the heirs of salvation. And this, too, rejects any notion of boasting because it is, the very again, the very definition of mercy. Romans 9.15. Look at this scripture with me. Romans 9, verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The whole point of Romans 9, and there is a context here, and I would encourage you, read the context. Go see the context. But the whole context here is God's dealing with his people and the, utter, the, the mindset of the, of the human that says, well, wait a minute, why this person and not this person? Why this nation and not that nation? Why? And ultimately, Paul brings it back to the sovereign mercy of God, his will. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It depends not on human will or on exertion, but on God who has mercy. And so this is indeed a great subject. It is. It's a massive subject, and it deserves our attention. To peer, and I hope you do, peer, read good books, read the scriptures, look into this. 
this sovereign mercy and the grace of God, that he would choose for himself a bride from before the foundations of the world and to love that bride and save her, the church, for himself. But for now, it should be sufficient that we, his church, that are saved today, that we are in Christ, let us just peer at him for a moment and say, what mercy exists for us? Praise God that his mercy exists, and we should marvel at the fact that such mercy exists at all. It would be an error to simply challenge the mercy of God and not look at the mercy of God and be thankful. We should just be thankful for his mercy. And we know his mercy already, according to his word and many other scriptures. It is upon the whole world, but thank God that he has a special mercy for his people. Otherwise, there would be no salvation. So when we hear this beatitude of blessing, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We begin here with God's saving mercy, placing nothing upon our merits but on his mercy alone. We begin there with a thankful heart. We, church, have received mercy. We are the beaten, bruised, left for dead beggar in the parable of the Good Samaritan. We are that person. Angel read the story for us. I'm sure you already recalled it. There are many, many points that can be made from that parable. But what we need to do is consider the horrible state of that Jewish man. Now, remember, there was a lawyer who came to him, and it was, uh, all of this was in order to catch Jesus off of, you know, try to trick him, right? Who is my neighbor, the, the lawyer said. Do I really need to love God and neighbor? Let me see if I can throw a curveball. Who's my neighbor? And this is coming from a Jewish person who generally in that time frame was very much puffed up on self-righteousness and keeping the law. But can anybody love God and love neighbor perfectly? No. No, but he probably thought that he was doing pretty well until Jesus told a story, including a Samaritan. <laughs> and then you start thinking, well, maybe I, I, maybe I don't really get this. But that's the whole purpose of that parable. We need to consider the horrible state of that Jewish man that is in the story. A Jewish man was going down to Jericho and he fell by the wayside and robbers left him there for dead in this horrible, horrible state. And as he lay there, the priest and the Levite pass him by. What are they representative of? The law. The inability of the law. You can put all your trust in it. You can do all you can to fulfill it. But that priest and Levite, they left him there. They represent the law of Moses, which is unable to save sinners. Any keeping of any law. So who can help him? Who will show him mercy? And then comes the least likely of allies, the Samaritan, who was seen by the Jews of that time as no better, literally, than a dog. No better. And this is the one who shows the Jewish man mercy. This is the one. In this, we see how Christ is to sinners. He sees the sinner and has the compassion 
and he takes action. Christ came to us as the Samaritan went to this Jewish man laying in the street, and he bound us up in his arms. Christ came to us, pouring out his blood for us, pouring in the ointment of the oil of the Holy Spirit to comfort us when we needed it. He, as this Samaritan, sets us upon his own beast of burden to carry the load for us when we could not do it ourselves. And he brings us to the inn of his father, his own place, and gives us a place, gives us a home, gives us a family. And he pays for it all on his own dime. He pays the price for our sins far greater than two denarii. That's what was referenced here. It was paid two denarii. But even two denarii was a price that the man on the street couldn't pay. He didn't even have that. And so Christ is this Samaritan for us. That's one interpretation of this. This was a lesson for the Jewish man there to see who his neighbor was, but it was also, it's also eye-opening of the gospel of Christ and how he saves and redeems and is merciful to wretched sinners who cannot save themselves and who are lost and destitute and are beaten up and bruised. And he does it all. And the, begin, the beginning of all of it is one word, compassion. The Samaritan walked by, he saw the man in the street, and he had compassion. And that's mercy. So brothers and sisters, we have received this mercy And having seen this, it's only right then that being the objects of his mercy, we become the conduits of his mercy. And so for this, I want you to turn to Matthew 18. Let's look at a a classic kingdom parable to show us this. And I, I do want you to turn there. Matthew 18, verse 23. Because at this point, as we begin to to realize the mercy that we have received, it can be so easy for us to to begin to, to still hold grudges against people, to not be willing to forgive, to hold accounts and say, I you owe me this. And so for that, Jesus speaks this perfectly. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's mercy. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, just as he had done, and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. It's a sobering story. One that I hope we will be intentional to find ourselves in the midst of because we need that. I would be willing to bet that today there was a scenario where you wished you showed more mercy. A a merciful heart that has the mind of Christ and the attitude that has clearly been affected by heavenly mercy. Mercy that has forgiven far more debt than anyone could ever owe you and I. I want that to sit there. That should sit there. And it says it sits on my heart and that reality faces me and hopefully all of you, brothers and sisters, we run to the mercy of God again. Because even that is a sin that needs to be forgiven. And it's there. Isn't that amazing? That the forgiveness is there even still. Even the many, the many, many times that we have erred and messed up. What could anyone do to me that is of greater consequence and offense than what I have been forgiven by my heavenly Father? And you can ask yourself the same question. I would ask yourself that. You ask, what could you do or what could anyone do to you that is of greater consequence and offense than what has been, than, than what that outdoes, I got lost there for a second, sorry. I'm riddles, I do my own riddles. <laughs> Why did I reverse that to you? That was good on me. Anyway, let's leave myself as the example. You get what I'm saying. Ask yourself that question. The objects of God's saving mercies, this is, this is what it's all about, guys. The object of God's saving mercies become a means of God's mercies to those in need of mercy. Does that make sense? The objects of God's saving mercies, that's the church. That's you and me. Focusing on that, remembering that becomes the means of God's mercies then being dispensed on others around you that are in need of mercy. So just ask yourself this question. Who needs mercy right now around you? In your life, your relationships, the people that have hurt you, harmed you, messed with you. Who needs mercy? Everybody. (laughs) In that very story of the Samaritan, the whole point of that was that that Jewish man would see the great length that his enemy would go to to show mercy to him. We're supposed to see this chasm, this, that, that this person, completely unexpected, an enemy of the Jewish people, would be the one that would show mercy. And that great chasm, that gap was filled. And so as we look at the mercy that was shown to us, that becomes the motivation, the catalyst for us being willing 
to show mercy to everybody else around us. They're all our neighbors, all of them. Who is your neighbor? Every single one of them. You only have to ask yourself one question to know who your neighbor is. Who needs mercy? That's it. The merciful are blessed in the kingdom because we have received the greater mercy to which nothing else can compare. That's why we're blessed. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. There is a perpetual ongoing reality of the mercy that we receive from God in the same way that Jesus said, you will not be forgiven those. You will not be forgiven by your heavenly Father if you do not also forgive. We know that that is something that should motivate us to be forgivers, but it is not the means of our salvation, right? It is not the power of our salvation. The power of our salvation is the gospel. The power of our salvation is the mercy and the grace of God that has been unmerited and undeserved that he dispensed to us anyway by his choice and according to his sovereign love our transgressions are blotted out. But how much more so then, brothers and sisters, should we then seek to forgive others, show mercy to others, even in those moments where we think they do not deserve it? How much more so? This quote again. I'm going to read it slower. Christian, consider the freeness and wonderfulness of the grace of God towards yourself. You had such a wicked heart You lived with such a wicked life and it would have been most just with God to have cast you off forever. But he has had mercy upon you. He has made his glorious grace appear in your eternal salvation. Are you not thankful this morning for the mercy that you have been shown? So that alone is the thing that I want to to set on our hearts and, and be heavy there. And as we move into a time of communion, this is how we respond here at New City Church. We're going to respond with looking to Christ, looking to the cross, looking to his death, looking at what he has done. And and this is an opportunity to respond and ask the Lord, do I need to repent? Have I been merciless? Where have I not shown compassion, though I've seen that beggar in the street? And I mean in a figurative sense, and it could be in a, a literal sense. This could be those very things. This, are, this is the thing that causes the church to be the difference, the salt and light, the people who actually make change in this world because we have the compassion of God and we've been shown his mercy. So let's consider those things. Let me pray, and then we'll have a time of communion together. Father, we are so grateful that you have shown us great mercy. We were those people. We are products of your grace alone and your mercy extended to us. We deserve your judgment. We deserve hell, wrath, and the grave. Our sins were so besetting, burdensome, heavy. We could not lift them. Thank you for coming to each one of us in your sovereign grace and being like that Samaritan to us, looking us in the eye, lifting us up by your hand, holding us, being gracious to us, bandaging us, paying for our salvation, walking with us, assuring us of eternal life and 
redemption that is forever and the adoption as sons and a home that is forever in heaven and eternal inheritance. Thank you that the mercy doesn't just say forgiven. It says forgiven and redeemed and made new and forever with you. Thank you, Lord. May this mercy be life-changing for us. Every bit of it affecting how we see other people, how we treat other people, how we love our family, how we are patient and merciful, even when our very own family members don't seem to deserve it. When our neighbors don't deserve it. Lord, I pray we would be a picture of Christ, a fragrance of Christ to this world. Lord, help us. Help us in our weakness because this is difficult. But in the power of the Holy Spirit and your word that transforms us, we believe it is possible and it is necessary. So help us to live as the blessed kingdom people that we are, being merciful for we have been shown mercy. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us that led us to repentance and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.